we are tracing the journey from the Vedas to today and further to tomorrow. The mother reveals to us that there was a civilization anterior to the Vedas, both Vedas and the Chaldean legions. In fact, man is born with this quest and wherever there is quest, there is already a, the journey of the Vedas has become, begun. As Shubindu starts his life divine with, with this quest, the earliest preoccupation of man or so it seems is inevitable preoccupation for it returns after every period of banishment, skepticism and denial. What is this earliest preoccupation? God, light, freedom, immortality. So we are programmed for this. We are, uh, to use a modern term, hardwired or softwired for this. We just can't help it. And it was a reminder of what we didn't uh, speak about in the Vedic journey. That noise was a reminder. All that obstructs the path. Yeah, it's, I think this is okay. So, before we proceed, just to uh, you know, look at some of the salient features, once again, of the Vedic lore. To start with the very first truth that the Vedas declare, and declare it very boldly, but in a very wide Catholic way, is that Ekam Sat Vipra Bahuda Vadanti. There is one truth. But the wise call by different names. Now, immediately that puts Vedas in a very different category of scriptures. There are as many paths as there are human beings. Every journey is unique. And this tendency to codify, systematize and fix things into a fixed process came much later. But if you really look at the early journey of the Vedas, it was a quest where everybody in his own way was approaching. The important thing was the quest. And when we really fix the path, then in certain ways we finish it. This tendency came much later. That this is the way to proceed on this path. This is the way to proceed on that path. Because the path is opens from within. And it starts with the lighting of the fire as we have seen. And then each journey will go through its own unique experiences, its own, we all have our unique past, we all have our unique future. And therefore, the path will open as we proceed. But the common thing is that there is one truth and there are so many ways of approaching it, so many names with which we have tried to conjure it. And yet, even if we were to take all the names, all the possible paths, still something would remain incomplete and incomprehensible of the mystery of the Supreme. And it's good that it remains so. Because uh, it allows for the joy and the wonder as we move on the journey. So this is the first truth. The second truth is that in this journey, there are forces that help us and forces that oppose us. So yesterday we spoke a little bit about the forces that help us in the journey. Some steps of the ascent. 
there are also forces which oppose us and the vedas speak of them with very interesting names uh, vala which covers now what what does it cover it covers the truth so the common disease with which we all suffer is unconsciousness mother speaks of the four uh, asuric beings and the vedas speak about these four beings which actually cover the truth so it covers so we can't see it it's there but we can't see it it's wrapped and wrapped in a dense veil of unconsciousness uh, all around within us is it's like we are born with a cataract and uh, we don't realize it we don't recognize that you know it's a cataract we we cannot see and that's why there is a need for intense concentration just like a laser surgery we have to have an intense concentration literally uh, the mind the heart has to be preoccupied that look in the tree there is brahman in the pillar there is brahman in everything there is brahman so because of this intense concentration after a while some thing like a light begins to come and the veil is rent apart and one begins to look beyond towards that one reality so there are forces which cover the truth then there are forces which tear cut it asunder present it to us in bits and pieces and we may confuse these bits and pieces and aspects to be the whole truth so this is the other aspect of the journey there are uh, panis which steal what we have gained sometimes people dream that you know they have lost things and uh, there is a theft in the house and these are done by actual forces so morning time you know people feel very nice they meditate they go to a wonderful place and there are forces which are waiting uh, it's like you know when you come out um, there was a nice interesting story i read once uh, of course the story is in a different context but uh, you know there was a person who was thrown out of the church so he had to do something for a living so he was wondering that uh, what should i do so that my business runs well he didn't want to go far away from the church and he realized when people come out the first thing they look for is a cigarette they want to have a cigarette so he starts by opening a cigarette shop right across so it's very interesting that as we move along the path we encounter these forces and these forces are very very real they are absolutely um they steal away so morning one has gained very beautiful things uh, then by night especially when one is asleep and because the sleep is so unconscious these forces come and tear away and this is a whole world that the mystic begins to open to especially one who walks on this path um, how these things steal away and we feel sapped of energy they come in various forms they will come even uh, um, when we are awake it's a whole world to be explored and they have different um, uh, like for instance in dream if one sees a wolf so it is one of these forces which tear away and uh, snatch away a lot of gains that we have had that's why uh, when one walks on the path one has to be so vigilant that's why it's called a shurasya dhyara nishita duratya at some point uh, in the ashram context uh, it was uh, important for people to even be conscious of whom they are meeting what they are receiving from whom and there are very interesting stories of that that uh, when someone wanted to give something to pavitrada uh, somebody who had just uh, become friendly to him he was not really on the journey 
And Pavitra Dada said, no, I have to ask the mother about it. So he asked the mother, mother said, tell him just one last time. Because any interchange, any transaction, uh, we gain or lose. So the more we grow on the path, the more this inner wealth accumulates, the more there are robbers, highway robbers, that's how they are described in the Vedas, who come to steal it. They spot the fire. And the moment they see that a fire is burning bright and upward towards heaven, they, they have their characteristic action. They will throw doubt. They will throw fear. They will put all kinds of logical explanations why one should not walk the path, including things like practicality. Oh, I'll do it later. Oh, it's too early. Oh, it's a retirement age plan. All kinds of things. What if you lose this world and don't get another? So, they are active wherever, as Shobindo brings out in Savitri, wherever the gods act, they intervene. So, the more one grows on the path, the more one needs the protection and the grace. So, this is another kind. Then there is one which um, is the most deadliest of all. In, in the Vedic lore, we have the battle between Indra and Vritra. Vritra submerges everything in water. So one has gained, walked the path and everything is wonderful. And suddenly one feels, oh, I have done nothing, nothing has happened, you know. One forgets all the beautiful experiences that one has had. And, you know, life suddenly appears like a dry desert. It's no good, it's no use, it's useless. So this is a journey where Shobindo says, uh, in the Veda it is described as, that the soul of man is a battlefield where there are many forces which help and oppose. And interestingly, even among these spiritual forces, they help and they oppose when you want to pass beyond them. They help up to a point, like Vedic Rishi spoke of the gods. So they help to a point when we have to go beyond them, they oppose. Because they, they don't want, uh, they, they won't let go easily to the Supreme. So this journey is not like, um, you know, it's an intensely psychological process where one has to be very conscious. And that's the big problem about uh, turning yoga into a technique. Very often people say, okay, oh, all this is fine, but what's the technique? This is precisely not the way to do it. Because technique means half an hour or one hour I sit and then I forget the rest of the day. And that's when these forces are very, very active. Great length, these things are described in Savitri. Just before we proceed, just about these, uh, you know, some of these beings, how they act, since we are at it. How in Savitri the Vedic Yoga is brought out, This, these lines are absolutely directly from the, um, I mean, these lines are not from the Rig Veda, but they echo the same experience of the Rig Veda. This is in Savitri, the Yoga of the Soul's Release, and page 41. In fact, this is an utterance of Rishi Agastya. The treasure was found of a supernal day. In the deep subconscious glowed her jewel lamp. Lifted, it showed the riches of the cave. Shubindu describes this as a legend, Angiras and the cow legend, that the cows have been stolen by the panis. And they are kept in the subconscious cave. This is a whole story in the Rig Veda. That um, the cows have been stolen. Cows are light, you know, go. So they are stolen and put into the subconscious cave. And now they have to be rescued. 
So who goes first? Sarma, the hound of heaven. She goes there and talks to them that look, release the cows. And instead these robbers, they say, no, no, no. Why you want the cows to be released? You come here and we will give you treasure. You become a party to it. You know, they try to bribe. But she doesn't. She goes back and reports that that's where they are hidden. And as the story goes, Rishi Agastya drinks the ocean. And Angiras, with the power of the word, smashes the uh, caves and releases the cow. This is the story. Now look here how Shabindu describes it. Lifted, it showed the riches of the cave. Where, by the miser traffickers of sense, unused, guarded beneath night's dragon paws, in folds of velvet darkness, draped they sleep. These are the cows, the the riches which are hidden in the subconscious caves. Whose priceless value could have saved the world? A darkness carrying morning in its breast, looked for the eternal wide returning gleam, waiting the advent of a larger ray and rescue of the lost herds of the sun. We'll, we, we are reminded even of the story in um, Odysseus, his travel and the herds of the sun and how they are um, you know, close in an island. So all these stories, they are not myths. They are real movements of forces and beings within us. And when we move on the path, we can actually experience it. Similarly, the help one receives, the inspiration, the hope. And uh, we also spoke about the seven rivers and how these rivers are very beautifully described in Savitri and the hound of heaven. Uh, in the Vedas, um, Sarma is the goddess uh, who is um, often shown, uh, pictureized as hound. Uh, she is the dog who can smell from afar. So she knows from afar where is the danger. So as we grow in intuition, something warns us, cautions us that look, here is a danger. And if one is conscious, uh, one should be a lot more careful with whom one is mixing, where one is going, what kind of interaction one is having from afar it comes and tells us. And Shubhinder literally used the same language, Sarma, the hound of heaven. First he describes about these rivers, the seven rivers that the sages experience, seers experience and they come inside, they open this lid and they pour inside us. Oft inspiration with a lightning feet. A sudden messenger from the all-seeing tops traversed the soundless corridors of his mind, bringing her rhythmic sense of hidden things. So, one cannot understand by a process of analysis, but by another faculty of knowledge which begins to awake. A music spoke transcending mortal speech, as if from a golden file of the all-bliss, a joy of light, a joy of sudden sight, a rapture of the thrilled undying word poured into his heart as into an empty cup, a repetition of God's first delight. So this is the, um, this knowledge, this opening, as this light pours in, this consciousness pours in, this peace pours in, it brings joy. So this whole idea that God's journey is a painful journey, is actually a perversion. It, it is not a painful journey. In fact, the closer we go to the divine, the more ananda we feel. 
and if we are not feeling joy that means we are getting entrenched in the ego self something is wrong something is amiss the joy of being is a very important parameter in in fact uh, uh, one of the places when shubhendu was asked what is required for this yoga what qualities so you know one would normally expect well somebody who gets up at 4 o'clock in the morning goes regularly to the temple and performs all the rituals shubhendu doesn't say all that he says first requirement a sound and balanced body and mind just like vivekananda said teach people to play football rather than read the gita they will be closer to god amazing and uh, then he says ajo how do you pronounce is zo de vivre ude what's the correct pronunciation somebody um, he says one of the requirement is the joy of life in french zo de vivre zo de vivre zo de vivre the joy of life it's important if that is missing you can't take to the path of yoga because at every step the first robber you meet on the way and you know one is sent flying packing my god i never thought that such beings will also come but if there is a joy of life and a third thing which is very important to walk this path is a sense of humor you know god at one place in one of his aphorism shivinder says god doesn't take his world as seriously as we take it and that's why he has created this beautiful wonderful world we are too serious with everything too serious with life too serious with about god too serious about everything but he has created this out of delight what do the upanishad say raso vaisaha he is verily delight a whole upanishad ultimately discovers his delight so even the the process of of growth which is called a sacrifice we spoke about it yesterday even this process is a delightful process if there is pain when mother was asked what is the place of renunciation in this yoga shubhendu says renunciation she says renunciation is no place in this yoga because if you feel you are renouncing something then it it's it doesn't help it's a joyous shedding of the attire of the rapturous dancer on the way that's how shubhendu puts it and the more we shed things the more we grow in joy and peace we grow vaster and vastness brings delight in fact in life one very simple uh, uh, you know we we have experienced it number of times and we can always see it. you know whenever uh, we we constrict ourselves into some narrow state of consciousness then we feel pained immediately pain sadness even tiredness is a sign that the consciousness has become narrow small it can become narrow and small because of selfish movement it can become simply because one is too tired and exhausted and the consciousness falls back upon oneself whereas the moment we become vast immediately the consciousness is filled with joy that's why when people say ki bhagwan ka nyay kya hai what is god's justice in this world the beauty is god's justice is instantaneous only we don't see it so every deed which is done out of unselfishness instantly widens us and fills us with joy instant reward and every deed that is you know done with a sense of selfishness constricts us and it brings pain so here we are um, reading about how when this inspiration pours in these rivers pour in there is a delight one feels like singing dancing 
because it's such a delightful experience. Inspiration brings that joy. And that is why when we read the writings of the Upanishads and the Vedas, even when we don't understand anything, we were just hearing uh, some of these hymns just now. Even when we read something as powerful as Shurashyadhara, Nishitha, Duratya, Kavyo Vadanti, what the poet is saying, <laughs> the sharp is the path, uh, sharp as the razor's edge, narrow is the path. Sharp as the razor said, he is cautioning us and yet you feel joy. Why do we feel joy? Because it's pouring as a river of inspiration. Shurashidhara, Nishitha, Duratya, Kavyo, Vadanti. Because this inspiration brings joy. And that is why a sign that we are really getting close to the mystic truths. When we read something, whether from the Vedas, Shurabindu, the Gita, we feel a touch of joy inside. The understanding comes later. Delight is first. Knowledge is later. And if it is knowledge minus delight, then it's a scholarly knowledge worth nothing in this universe. It's simply a dry, barren dust, which has no value at all from the divine point of view. No, we analyze words and everything. So, the, and then he says, a traveler between summit and abyss, she joined the distant ends, the viewless deep. Speaking of she is the intuition here. Sarma, or streaked along the roads of heaven and hell, pursuing all knowledge like a questing hound. Absolutely straight experience from the Vedas. She joins the viewless heights and the abysses. So this knowledge is not just a knowledge of, uh, you know, when we talk about the Veda, it's just not God knowledge in a limited sense. It is also God knowledge which is hidden in the depths behind darkness. In everything in the universe. And it begins to reveal itself to the seeker. To the person who is walking on the path. And negotiates all these uh, different um, obstacles that come on the way. And then the third thing is. As we were saying. this The path is opens through sacrifice. It's amazing that in the Vedic lore. They don't talk about how to meditate. Nowadays you know in that uh, McDonald's age. We want a easy to do spirituality. One, two, three steps to easy practice. What should I do? Step one. What should I do? Step two. Control my breath. Hold my breath. Turn it in this way, that way. Circular motion. Elliptical motion. But the Vedas speak about sacrifice. What is this sacrifice? Sacrifice is for the, the lesser, for the greater. Lesser joy for a greater delight. So always there is an increase. There is plenitude. And the fourth is the mutual transaction that takes place between heaven and earth. Shobindo raises it to an nth degree when he says a mutual debt binds man to the supreme. Now this transaction is uh, in the Vedas it's um, you know put in a very interesting way that man uh, sacrifices to the gods and in return gods give him something. So when we sacrifice Portions of our mortal nature, our mortal ways of thinking, feeling, willing, hoping. Then in return, these powers and energies increase in us. Because that vacuum is filled with these powers, these energies. And we begin to change into a new being. This was the process that the Vedic Rishis used. But if we say, no, I am not going to let go of my mind and its processes. And I am going to find God only through the rational analytical process. Then fine. It's not really... The path of the Vedas. The path of the Vedas is that there is a quest. It burns and I am going to offer this 
and it can go to any extent. In, in Shubhendu's writings, finally, what is that uh, ultimate sacrifice? He tore desire up from its bleeding roots and offered to the gods the vacant place. So it goes to an ultimate point where bleeding roots are the very subconscious from which Ashwapati plucks out the desires and offers. But for whom? For the gods that you come and occupy this place. So we see uh, the Vedic lore which is a very rich, vast and complex yoga. But it is as relevant today for anybody who walks on the path. All these experiences will come and not only come inwardly as psychological subjective experiences, but objective experience. One can actually see the Panis, these forces and the gods who come and help us in the journey. So this is fascinating. That's why the Vedas are the eternal truths which can be replicated in the human consciousness, but in many, many ways. In each one, they will reveal themselves in their own unique way. But is this the complete truth? Is this everything? Well, in an essential way, yes, because uh, the Vedas speak about realizing that one truth and uh, the path of the sacrifice, the ascent of the soul out of ignorance towards knowledge, towards a state of light, bliss and the beauty of this approach is it combines secular and religious approach. It's very interesting because uh, you know even if one doesn't really believe in a God as we normally call it, still we can believe in states of consciousness that are beyond human beings or our mortal state and therefore we can ascend into that. These states of consciousness um, is a very, very secular approach. You know, when we aspire for beauty, for light, for love, for bliss in this world, for harmony in this world, what are we really doing when we aspire for wideness? It's a, the same thing, but put in ways, terms, which are very secular. When we say that I want harmony in life, basically we are saying, God Mitra, come and occupy our life, make life more beautiful. When we say, oh, I wish life could be beautiful. There was a whole movie, Life is Beautiful. What are we really doing? We are actually um, aspiring for beauty to manifest in this world. And we need not necessarily uh, use a religious approach. So the beauty of the Vedas is combines a secular and a religious approach. And there comes a time when they fuse into one. That's why in India, where this Vedic lore was practiced, there was never any real... In fact, not real, even unreal antagonism between these two approaches. It's very unfortunate that uh, modern debaters try to create a antagonism between the two. But never, never occurred. Secular approach towards the divine, towards that plenitude, towards that beatitude is as valid as a um, religious approach. The important thing is that humanity must progress. That's what the mother says. That there should be earth for progress, thirst for progress. If that is there, it doesn't matter. We call it beatitude. Or we may call Tripur Sundari. So we may worship her as Devi or we may worship her as uh, a plenitude, a beatitude which exists as a state of consciousness. The Vedas allowed this, both these approaches. So where was the limitation? What was necessary? What was left to be done? And that's where we saw that particularly in the Vedas, because the language was open to both kinds of interpretation, later people interpreted it in a ritualistic way, because it's much easier to light a fire inside the house than to light an inner fire. Much easier to offer, you know, a little bit of extra ghee that we have into that fire than to offer the gritam, which is the illumined mentality, 
in the inner fire so that it can blaze upward much easier to put um, wood and other kinds of offering into the outer uh, fire than to offer everyday action into the inner fire so that it may blaze so that these actions can get purified so the ritualistic interpretation was the easier part and man always you know like going to temple as we were discussing is the easier part much more difficult to emulate that truth and bring it inside and very often um, even meditation is practiced as a debt that man you know owes to god that i have done my bit but to carry that fire inside to turn it from a flame into an inferno that is the whole trick and for that the whole life has to become a movement a journey because the vedas visualized life as a journey which runs on two levels that also we spoke yesterday uh, one is an inferior uh, gati a rhythm now in that inferior gati uh, dharma is important because dharma prepares us for the higher rhythm but dharma in the indian context was not morality but something much deeper much more fundamental morality comes with human mind so according to that there would be no dharma before the human mind developed because the mind arbitrarily divides things into good and bad right and wrong this is a mental conception but what is the basis of good and bad what is the basis of right and wrong is there something more universal more fundamental so there came the concept of dharma and from that dharma we have the first dharma is sanatan dharma this is an internal truth which is at the root of all things and this eternal truth people have sought in many ways so shrubindo says in one of his very famous uttar para speeches that what is the scripture of sanatan dharma he says all scriptures and it goes beyond scriptures sabd brahmati vartate all scriptures he says even the bible and the quran are scriptures of sanatan dharma because they are also approaches towards the infinite so what is left out everything is there as part of that you know the, at the root is that eternal truth so that is the sanatan dharma then this dharma is unfolding in its own way in terms of space and time so the second understanding of dharma was that this dharma also has to be seen in a certain context so what is right and wrong good and bad according to the vedas very beautifully it you know it defines what really is sin this sin concept is not there actually in the vedas but if at all it has there has to be a definition all that keeps us away from the one eternal truth now when we look at that uh, you know many things which may include our duties our family ties which are so much glorified subsequently they all may be you know it prevents us from reaching out but that doesn't mean to break things but it means to change our orientation that touches upon this question that was asked yesterday or today that what is the difference between maya and moha shubindo says that you cannot slay maya you can slay moha maya is the play of multiplicity with oneness as its root now the problem is not maya multiplicity has been created with a purpose the problem is moha it is an ignorant way of dealing with these things and what is the ignorant way this is mine i think yesterday we spoke about yagnavalk stories this is mine i possess it a simple example of uh, moha is this that every parent wants their children to behave in a certain way now this is natural 
to an extent. But when they insist, this is the only way, my way or no way, or wife or husband, it applies universally. You know, wife should behave in a certain way. Husband should behave in a certain way. My friend should behave in a certain way. If he doesn't, he is no more my friend. People should behave in a certain way or they should think alike. They should think like me. If they don't think like me, they are ignorant, foolish creatures. I am the paragon of knowledge and I am the criteria and the yardstick. Look how stupid it sounds. People don't say this, but in everyday dealing, we do like this. I think so. Well, fine. It's your thought. So today, already there is a tendency at the mental level for the veils of moha to become thinner. Now, when I hold on to my knowledge, my feeling, my will as the ultimate thing, then it prevents my advance very simply. So in every house, the divine sends uh, totally a complementary person who will think absolutely opposite. When God loves us, he does that. <laughs> when he doesn't, he says, okay, fine. You will have everybody around who will only say yes to you. But when there are people who say no to you, that means God really loves us. He wants to widen us, to make our horizons grow. So it's so interesting. That, so moha is an ignorant way of dealing with life. And that ignorant way comes because we believe the body to be all, the bodily relation to be everything. All our relations are determined, unfortunately, by the circumstances of our birth, by people who are in proximity. It's very sad. You know, it's uh, one would love to, um, you know, hear a story where for 20 years people were separated and yet they loved each other. I mean, Veer Zara was a movie which tried to pictureize that. And there are some films which try to show that. That, you know, people still can continue to love. And true friendship is like that. It's not dependent on space, time, even conversation. So that is the beauty, that is the power. Now that is a true relationship. That's the sign of true friendship. But moha is, I want you for my own sake, for my egoistic satisfaction. You must always uh, toe the line of my ego. You must always praise me. And if you don't praise me, you are not good. You are not my friend anymore. Now this is moha. And this moha, why it is bad? Not because it is papa in that sense, but it brings pain, keeps us away from the eternal. So what a vast vision. Now in dharma, why dharma comes in? Everything that keeps us away. So an ignorant, excessive attachment with anybody or any situation keeps us away from moving on the path. Whereas if we go typically morally, then it's perfectly fine. There's nothing immoral about it. So when it is said that dharma is not morality, it is not less than morality, but much greater than morality. Much more subtler than morality, much more deeper, profound, wide, and intrinsically complex. It is There are many aspects of it, which, you know, literally, um, it's perfectly fine if a husband expects a cup of tea at home uh, when the wife comes back tired and this man has been reading newspaper whole day. Uh, he feels that I am not doing anything immoral. It's neither immoral nor illegal, but it is a dharma. As simple as that. Because it's creating a kind of dependency. It's creating a kind of uh, you know, that, oh, I possess her. I have a right to dictate things to her. Well, if she does it out of love and joy, it's different. So in the very fabric of Indian life, when the Vedas came up, this dharma was woven. 
it's very unfortunate that it is lost now it has become nothing but a mass of dead rituals outwardly glossed over made glorified and you know people are very happy that well that's vedic religion that's not vedic religion in the vedic religion a girl went out is very uncomfortable to hear but it's a truth she chose her husband and it was called swayamvara and she could choose the daughter of a princess she could choose a woodcutter savitri and satyavan story and she stands look how powerfully the vedic age the spirit of the vedic age shobindo brings out when savitri's mother says see in everyday life when savitri's mother says what is it that you are uh, you know you have chosen go back and choose again so savitri says once my heart has chosen it chooses not again and she challenges fate if such be the destiny i'll challenge destiny now look at the power look at the way um, that life of the vedic age what spirit what source of sustenance that man could challenge fate and today we believe karma hai fate hai you know what a fall downfall what were these nal and damianti ordinary human beings i think uh, if some of us have heard the story of nala and damianti what an inspiring tale it is every possible god and the kali tests this man and woman and they come out victorious they don't give up it they, they are you know there is a point of time when nala has lost everything not only his wife but even the lonely piece of cloth on his body he doesn't think of suicide that's why suicide is adharma asurya naam te loka that's how the upanishad puts it that's not the spirit of sanatan dharma because the one is still there inside you you can build up a whole life even from scratch a person who lives by the truth of the sanatan dharma even if everything goes away from his life he will say i still carry the one in my breast and with that one i can build up everything that is the way uh, a person who really lives in the spirit of the vedas look at the pandavas look at their life i mean look at rama i mean he doesn't say oh my wife has been taken away shobindo gives this in the synthesis of yoga as to what is renunciation so he says the way we understand renunciation today is if that was the criteria then rama should have said oh my wife has been taken away doesn't matter that's destiny and perhaps god wants me to now Uh, lead an ascetic life anyways i am thrown into the jungle all the circumstances are conspiring me to take to sanyas the last obstacle of my life was my wife she is gone away and i just need to you know uh, anyways i am in a forest i need to find the nearest ashrama go there and spend a life in contemplation and meditation but ramayana is a scripture of sanatan dharma no says rama i must march upon ravana because it's not about my wife it's not about a woman it's about the way of life in this country called aryavarth this must be challenged somebody must stand up against the reign of ravana because everybody has been taken to sanyas ravana is very happy and shobindo speaks of that that uh, in in the vedas this idea of liberation was not uh, quitting life on earth abandoning life on earth he says that has popularized the energy and left the field in the hands of the asuras 
because everybody says life is an illusion 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 so everybody leaves and dasra is very happy thank you thank you sir please go away he is almost pushing you yes yes go 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 yes god is there out there in the cave at the moment you get ah now this house is mine but that's not the way the sanatana dharma teaches us eva this too is divine this too is his glory so when we slay moha life changes its meaning everything is same all its many varieties colors relationships everything is same but the way we deal with it is different the sting of life the pain of life the error of life the evil of life is taken away from us and what is left is peace and joy and the divine spiritude so this is is the path so one wonders then what what is now left so first thing was every time one of the work of the avatar is to put back again the vedas to their pristine glory it's vedanudharte which the gita speaks about you know abhyutthanam adharmasya this is adharma the when you know mankind falls into selfishness it may be doing everything ritualistically correct every day morning a person is going like ravana to the temple of shiva but praying for his kingdom his wealth to increase nothing more than that so somebody must come and break it so we see shubhendra and the mother once again recovering the vedas and putting it back to their glory what really vedas it see inner process it's an inner journey this is the inner fire when mother was asked tell us something about yoga so she says what do you want the yoga for she doesn't straight away say oh yoga you want to know okay i'll give you a kriya and a mantra and you do this and you will have yoga no she says what do you want the yoga for to gain power to help humanity to look good in people's eyes none of these motives are sufficient to show that you are ready for the path is the divine the very reason the etri of your life i mean do we really value the divine for the sake of the divine that's the first step and then she says there is a fire burning inside you look how she reveals the vedic scripture in the depth of your heart roll up your consciousness dive deep discover this inner fire put everything inside it with the divine name sacrifice follow its dictates here it's called so here is also a very beautiful description of this inner fire which is so similar to many of the passages of the vedas and we'll just quickly read that also it's in the canto the secret knowledge page 48 ah so what happens when the mentality begins illumined we read yesterday about the indra when he changes the mind into an illumined mind then how does such a person uh, think of course he doesn't think but Uh, he is inspired intuition revelations these come what else happens the signals witnessed by strange immaterial sense the signals of eternity appear the truth mind could not know unveils its face that was the way of knowledge of the vedic rishis we hear what mortal ears have never heard we feel what earthly sense has never felt we love what common heart repels and dread 
So that's why Shiva is a yogi and Krishna is a yogi. Janaka is a yogi. They love what common hearts repel and dread. Shiva says, oh, snake, poisonous, come. I'll put you around my waist. He doesn't care. The Bhut, Pishach and all these, you know, come near him. And he tames them. They become his friends. <laughs> what, a, what a life that is. Our minds hush to a bright omniscient. A voice calls from the chambers of the soul. We meet the ecstasy of the Godhead's touch in golden privacies of immortal fire. This is the fire that the Vedas speak about. Rig Veda is full of hymns to this fire. These signs are native to a larger self that lives within us by ourselves unseen. And then some of these signs. It is the origin and the master clue. Now, you know, in some passages we will see a ring of Kathopanishad repeatedly. Yama tells Nachiketa, this is it that thou seekest. This is it that thou seekest. And how beautifully it is described. It is the origin and the master clue. A silence overhead, an inner voice, a living image seated in the heart. An unwalled wideness and a fathomless point. Simultaneously. So the more deeper we go inside, the wider we become. This is one of the signs that one is really growing on the path. It doesn't make us narrow. It breaks away all that makes us narrow. So even though it looks very paradoxical, because normally we feel, well, when you look at the world, see the world, when you go around, you become wide. But there is another way to become wide. It is to go within and touch this fire. When you touch this fire, you discover the same fire, Vaishwanar, in the entire universe. You touch every other point in which this fire dwells and whether does it not dwell. Our relationship with people changes according to that. It is no more limited to the earthly tenement on the physical circumstances of our life. It makes us wide. That's why Shobindo says, an unwalled wideness, a fathomless point. The truth of all these cryptic shows in space. Then we know the real meaning of a life. The real towards which our strivings move. The secret, grandiose meaning of our lives. A treasure of honey in the combs of God. This is one of the ways it is described. Treasure of honey in the combs of God. In fact, the psychic being is sometimes described as the eater of the honey. Eater of the sweetness. What is that eater of the honey? It's very interesting. That whatever experience of life, the sign of the psychic is that it will turn it into something beautiful and sweet. That's why when in one of his aphorisms, Sri gives a very simple sutra of divine life. He says, turn all things to sweetness. This is the secret of divine life. Turn all things to sweetness. Every experience, it has the power, it's the capacity. That's why it's the inner alchemist. It turns everything to sweetness. A splendor burning in a tenebrous cloak. It is our glory of the flame of God, a golden fountain of the world's delight. The more we discover it, the more we grow in joy. An immortality cowled in the cape of death, the shape of our unborn divinity. 
it guards for us our fate in depths within so this fire knows all that is going to come that's why and and these stories you know everywhere um again in ramayana when rama and sita there is a dialogue then they go within and know now this is our mission so sita puts herself into the fire and puts out only a chaya of herself the shadow self so this knows when we touch it we know the um, the the curve towards which we are moving always we bear in us a magic key concealed in life's hermetic envelope a burning witness in the sanctuary regards through time and the blind walls of form he sees the secret things no words can speak and knows the goal of the unconscious world in the heart of the mystery of the journeying years so so many things in savitri we find which shubindos uh, you know which are about the vedic journey but what is there is it only about that is it is something missing in the vedas well one of the things is the collective aspiration of mankind it is hinted but not fully brought out that comes in the upanishad repeatedly we find in the upanishad sangachatvam sangvadattam is expanded sahana bhavatu sahano bhunaktu these are upanishadic verses where people aspire that all of us for good of all for everybody's well being so this collective aspect of our progress comes much more forcefully in the upanishad than in the veda is there it's hinted definitely but not with all the strength and the fullness the second part the second aspect which is missing is Uh, which comes in the tantras is the shakti aspect there is of course the purusha of whom they sing the glory and of course there is the mention of the white mother the radiant mother but the tantra bring out this aspect of the shakti with much more fullness much more power and uh, much more practical it's you know practical aspect because tantras talk about forms and processes and for that the shakti has to come into play using the shakti as a doorway in shurbindu yoga we find both the vedantic side of knowledge and the tantric side of knowledge fuse fuse together the third aspect which we find missing in the vedas is the vedas don't talk about something very very fundamental something which is like the mystery of mysteries in creation a mystery that has boggled the minds of uh, even great mystics and is the mystery of god's birth in time the vedas don't speak about that and that we find krishna for the first time speaking about it in the gita that revelation we see in the gita yada yada hi dharmasya glanir bhavati bharata abhyuthanam adharmasya tadatman sujamaham these verses are amazing just these four lines god becoming limited that unwalled wideness assuming a mortal breath what is this mystery so it also it's hinted in the vedas only in the sense that all of us are that in a certain sense have become this but the gita makes it very explicit that no there is a special process of the divine becoming human this is of course missing in the vedas and that is why we find something very beautiful in savitri and of course the fourth thing which is missing in the veda is the fullness of bhakti which sri krishna brings to earth that's why shubindu says that out of the four great events in mankind one of them was krishna's exile from vrindavan because it created devotional religion 
in the vedas there is hints of bhakti when there is you know when the rishi speaks about surrender to the fire and prays to it that make the crooked in me straight burn away my coverings but that flaming core of devotion where one gives oneself to the divine and forgets all else this comes much later so it would be an error to believe that everything is there contained in the vedas in a seed form yes because it's the earliest dawn of humanity but we must also remember as shurbindo reminds us in essays on the gita we don't belong to past dawns but to the noons of the future so the vedas are not a book that have been written for all times and finished as more and more experience grows the vedas will reveal themselves in everyone in their own unique way so there are two ways to read the vedas one is a very ritualistic way this is it what is not there in the veda nobody can talk about it that was one of the objection people had to shurbindo that well it's not there in the veda there is no talk about transformation of the body so it's not possible because you are doing something which the vedas don't speak and shri krishna himself in in the gita he demolishes this approach to the vedas he says very clearly that he who is living in the consciousness of brahman for whom what is the utility of vedavad the philosophical and metaphysical understanding of the vedas he says only that much as a man who is surrounded by the sea all around has the utility of carrying water in a little jar because then you have gone beyond so there is a limit to which words can lead us you have to go beyond the written speech all that which has never been written all that which has never been heard all that which has never been conceived and imagined is also a veda but an unwritten veda it is yet to reveal itself in humanity this is very important otherwise we reduce everything to merely oh this is written in the vedas that is written in the vedas and uh, where is this in the vedas it's not necessary because they are books of revelation the divine reveals himself always well that kind of bhakti which we find uh, are is the bhakti of gopis any less than the path of the vedic mystics where a gopi says just uh, we were you know hearing that beautiful bhajan i had that mind one mind one breath i have given to krishna what do you ask us to be vedantins this is exactly how the whole story goes when and that points towards the limitations of the veda when uddhav tells uh, krishna that you are confusing the gopis he says why what do you mean he says well you don't know you are teaching them wrong things so what are the wrong things what is this love for a form your form divine is formless you can achieve him only through jnana and jnana is austere you have to crush the feelings of the heart suppress it make it dry then you arrive at the peaks of jnana so krishna says very good udhav you are a very qualified learned man i appreciate your inputs can you do me a favor yes please tell me you know all about brahman he says yes you tell the gopis about brahman because you know they don't listen to me when i go they just start misbehaving they just treat me like you know just one of them they don't know that i am brahman and they better treat me like somebody austere grand far they treat me so casually as if i am a friend they hold my hand walk and just play with me how can brahman play with people so please go and explain to them not to do this because i am brahman and nobody can play and fool around with brahman it's not just not done so udhav says all right but to they will not listen to me unless you give me a letter of authority power of attorney 
to speak on God's behalf. So Krishna says, permitted to speak on behalf of Krishna the Brahman, signed. So he goes and says, I have a letter from Krishna. And as the story goes, they tear the letter and says, just give me one piece of it. The Vedas don't speak of this. The joy, the touch of the divine. Say the experience that one has when somebody has something touched by the mother and Shurabindu. Why one feels so great and good about it? This was an experience denied, unfortunately, to the Vedic Rishis. But this is an experience we all can have. So look how beautiful this is. So then Udhav says, you are fools, just listen to me, listen to me. Finally they come, okay, tell us, you have come from Krishna, tell us how is he, is he eating well, is he sleeping well? We are not there to take care of him. Who takes care of him? (laughs) He says, what do you mean? Brahman is not all this. He is none of these five elements. He is neither uh, here nor there. He is beyond, transcendent. What do you mean take care? There is nothing to take care. So they are all now, you know, he is saying something very different. He says, so one of them asks, okay, how do we understand that aspect of Krishna? He says, very simple. Hold your breath, I'll teach you your pranayam, concentration, meditation. So what do we do it with? With your mind and your breath. So then the gopis say that, well, all this we have given to Krishna. Now how do we take back and start this all this process? And that's when Uddhav realizes that their realization they have already realized. <laughs> what, you know, uh, with all his jnana and knowledge of Brahman, he could not. So it was this aspect of bhakti is missing in the Vedas. And these are Sri words, by the way. They are not my words. In one of the letters, Sri speaks about it. And somebody asked him that, uh, um, you know, is there something which came later on? What is missing? He says, well, bhakti is missing. It is there, but it's not developed to its fullness. Core essence is there. Seed is there of everything. There is the Param Purusha. So obviously, there is the adoration to him. But that flaming heart of love is missing. And of course, the story of the divine descent. So Vedas end with, as we read yesterday, with the at the doors of the sun, where they knock and enter. The Rishi wants to enter or get that revelation of the sun for himself so that he may live according to the rhythms of the eternal or rith. But there is something else. What if Suri Savitri, to which the Vedic Rishi aspired to pass, comes down, assumes a mortal body, moves in this mortal world among men as one of us. That is something which the Vedic Rishis did not even attempt. It was far beyond. Even when they spoke about the rays of the sun, it was uh, something of that consciousness, something of that breath coming from above and changing their mentality. But that consciousness assuming a human form and shape, will it, is beyond conception. And that gift to man is Savitri. Savitri is about the divine embodiment. It's the story of the Surya Savitri taking a human birth. So, there are so many things which over period of time have happened. Human consciousness has advanced. First, the ritualistic interpretation of Vedas, that has to go. Second, it it has to be available in a certain way to the larger uh, life of humanity. 
and that's not possible if we stick purely to the externalities and fix it uh, you know uh, only to certain external actions in certain fixed places it has to become a living truth and shubhendra and the mother make it a living truth and most important of all the divine descent emits us of which we see savitri is a living example so this is the uniqueness and finally i think yesterday of course we can take it as a question separately um, as we see in each age the same light was given to a different level so in the vedas it was a psycho spiritual then um, in the age of the upanishad it was to the mind in the age of tantra and purana it was to the heart and the will of man <coughs> to the life impulse in man but finally in kaliyuga the age of matter it is given to the body of man and again seed we will find in the vedas like if we go back to the vedas we see these devatas these gods we talked about these gods they are not only beyond they are also within the human body that's why it is said that within the pind there is the brahmand where where do they reside later on in modern versions of kundalini we have very different description because the gods change their function like for instance now at the muladhar we have uh, ganesha but if we go to the vedic lore who is at the base root of matter who is the first god the gates of which through the gates of which the entry takes place it is agni he burns there he is the godhead secret in matter then one comes up and then one encounters varuna aryaman maruts indra so in different and they are each at different levels of her being and one can literally <coughs> even connect the working of these gods to diseases and the same thing we find with the panch mahabhut which were also you know the same thing these gods and the five indriyas they are uh, each indriya each sense is governed by one of these godheads and these five elements like at the base is the earth then you have the region of the waters and um, scientists i mean medical scientists know that whole abdomen full of all these things movements of the waters and if that element uh, is missing then there are problems then at the level of the heart there is the fire element if we take the panch bhut and then you have the air element and then you have the ethereal space element so again we have the same things they are there in the human body and it's hinted in the vedas also in the upanishad the taitriya upanishad speaks about it the gods who have gone and entered into the human body seed is there but shodan bindu and the mother develop it to the fullness what are they doing in the human body they are still working on the human body as a laboratory to create it a fit and perfect vehicle for the divine consciousness so this working has been going on for a long time this in matter all these gods reside and till now they have made the human body where they can really work consciously with the collaboration of man this hint is there but now shirbindo brings it to the fullness that how all these gods their functioning and um, ultimately of the uh, one divine at the very human body every cell of the body should taste the same sachidananda consciousness which we can experience within in our inner meditations right now the cells are not driven by sat 
truth. They are not driven by rith. They are not driven by vrahatam. So what happens? Because they are driven not by sat, but by asat. So therefore, they are prone to error. Just as our inner consciousness is prone to error and deviates from the straight path, therefore our body also deviates from the straight path. It's not born like that. But we develop all kinds. Take a simple example. When children are born, they are closer to Satchitananda, even in the physical. They know what they should eat and what they should not eat. But we, beta thoda khale, are chocolate lai hai uncle. You know, then slowly, by the time they are 14, 15, their tastes are corrupted. All the cells have deviated from Sat. They have become so used to Asat. Asat from McDonald, KFC ka Asat. Iska asat, uska asat. So there is no sat. So disease is a consequence. What about chit, tapas, consciousness? It has become very unconscious. There are foods which make the body more and more unconscious. There are foods which make the body lighter, subtler, more conscious. Ayurveda talks about it. And much of Ayurveda is basically uh, about strengthening our own physicality. To make the cells more conscious. So if they are more conscious, they will fight disease. They will not allow disease to enter inside. You see, this is very interesting. This concept has come in medicine through another door. They don't use the same language. doesn't matter. For instance, people talk about cancer and there is so much fear. Very few people know that cancer cells in a certain way are all the time present in everybody. Now, is that frightening? No, because our immunity takes care of it. It destroys it, drives them away. But there is a time when the immunity becomes suppressed. For instance, if there is a chronic depression. So the joy of being has gone away. People who are full of joy, you will see that they do all kinds of things in life and yet they live long. Because the joy which is there, it makes everything light. It makes light of everything. And the cells, if they are conscious, they will throw away illnesses. Bacteria comes and they will throw away bacteria because they are growing in consciousness. Now, if they can become fully conscious, imagine what would happen where every cell is conscious of the divine presence and it immediately repels every attack of depression, disease, despair, etc. etc. And then third is Ananda. We seek artificial means for Ananda. Why? Because the cells are not experiencing ananda. They say inwardly it's alright. Meditation may you had ananda. But to have ananda in the physical you must have a very very tasty food. Ah, what an ananda. But if the cells experience ananda very naturally and normally that won't be necessary. So this whole thing about Sachidananda consciousness. I'm, this is just one example. Of course the experience is much much greater. But this just to uh, grasp that if every cell lives by truth and not by the falsehood. When Mother used to say this, what are diseases? Falsehoods of the body. And very often she will tell people the same technique that, you know, she advises uh, for the inner consciousness, she would advise for the physical body. Don't pay attention to it. It is all falsehood. Don't pay attention to it. It's all falsehood. I still remember somebody was inside, uh, you know, in a ICU setting with all the tubes inside. One lady who had gone through a surgery, bypass surgery and all that, she suddenly had a vision of mother in front of her. What is all this falsehood that you have surrounded yourself with? 
remove all this. I mean, it's not needed because we believe in it. See how falsehood works. It clutches the mind, fills it with all these formations. I am sick. I am sick. Now in yoga, what is the method we follow in, in the method of Vedanta? I am Brahman. What do the doctors tell us? You are a diseased fellow. On the verge of death, not Amritam, but Mrityutam. And, you know, we keep repeating it. We are frightened. Then over a period of time, fear comes into the cells. Of all the things which are the most impure, the greatest impurity is fear. These are mother's words. Fear is the greatest impurity and the closest alley of death. Fear in any form. So, Vedas describe what is Brahman? It is fearless. So when the Brahman consciousness enters the cells, they become freed of fear. They are not afraid. And that is a great power, great defense. So you see how it applies at all these levels. And what is yoga of the body? With every cell, mother was trying to convince it. Don't be afraid. Why don't you have trust in grace? Then mother tells this. It's like a conversation between her and the cells. She says, you know, these cells don't understand this because they have evolved under the pressure of stress of circumstances, pain, struggle. So I am trying to convince them that look there is grace but they don't believe in grace. She is trying to tell them and at one place he says every cell, imagine billions of cells, trillions of cells in the human body. Says, every day I have to take out a certain number of cells and talk to them, their consciousness. I cleanse them of all these things, instill in them a luminous trust in the grace and I put them back that look now you stay, act like a contagion to all others. This is the yoga of the body. Vedas hint about it. The presence of the gods in the human body. But where are they sleeping? We don't know. The gods have become the doctors. Who have not only gods, they have become, you know, rich people with lot of uh, money. Because, well, now, this is not to say that we should not go to doctors. If we are in not in that state of consciousness, by all means. But don't make doctors synonymous with gods. This was one of the biggest problems that happened. Doctors are next to God. We started by that. You know, in India at least. Now, doctors are greater than gods. Because what God cannot do, doctors can do. Like clean up our vessels. And obviously, uh, doctors enjoy it. I mean, who wouldn't? Uh, that kind of glorification. So, this is where we have to work upon this, this body, these cells. Drive out all fear, doubt distrust, formations which hang around us. I have this, I am this. The method of Vedanta is just the opposite. See, mother used to say, don't focus on this disease. And mother has not said this just uh, theoretically. Yeah. When she came to India, um, second time, 23-24, she suffered from every possible disease on the earth, including a serious heart condition. And they all felt that she is going to die. And how she has worked upon it. And those were days when anyways medicine was not advanced and there was hardly anything that could be done. So this is the process that one has to use towards awakening the body consciousness towards the divine. First, inwardly, one has to acquire all these qualities. Obviously, unless one is by a special grace open in the body directly. But for most of us, it works that it starts with the mind. Therefore, man pran sharid neta. So at the level of the mind, we should be very, very clear that we don't allow these things to come in. What is anritam? And then slowly we let this trickle into 
other parts of the being drive away fear from the heart from the vital from the physical first in the consciousness level then at the cellular level of course cellular level is too big for any of us to speak but at least from the physical consciousness we can drive it away by the grace of the divine call that peace ananda right into the very physical consciousness so this is something which the mother and shobindo have brought new because now we are ready for that plunge the vedic rishis foresaw it as a distant possibility obviously this was not achieved it has been foreseen not only by vedic rishis in india but by mystics in other parts of the world vaishnavas speak about a glorified body saint john speaks about it there are people who have spoken about it but uh, achieving it in the very physical consciousness is the first time this has been attempted and the attempt itself is worth it because it just a question of time but once the human body crosses this barrier then even the gods would covet to be born and take a human body because it won't be subject to error wear and tear and disease then why not the body itself will take the ananda so this is the great vision that shirobindo opens before us i'll pause with some lines from savitri and then we will go into question answers yes first we i think yesterday also referred to the kain upanishad where there is reference to a consciousness beyond the mind from which mind itself is born several places in savitri there is a reference to that consciousness so in book 11 page 705 also we spoke about the truth the right the vast which the vedic rishis aspired for so shubindo brings that in the final boon who will be these uh, path breakers these adventurers into the new world how will we will recognize them not by anything external but by something internal and what is their hallmark abandoning the dubious middle way a few shall glimpse the miraculous origin mind is not all his tireless climb can reach there is a fire on the apex of the worlds there is a house of the eternal light there is an infinite truth an absolute power adventurers into a mightier day ascending out of the limiting breaths of mind they shall discover the world's huge design and step into the truth the right the vast look exactly the aspiration of the vedic rishis satyam ritam vratam they shall step into the truth the right the vast there is a consciousness mind cannot touch yan mansana manute yena hormanavatam exactly the same truth shobindo is revealing its speech cannot utter nor its thought reveal it has no home on earth no center in man yet is the source of all things thought and done the fount of the creation and its works it is the origin of all truth here this sun orb of minds fragmentary rays infinity's heaven that spills the rain of god 
complete its the Vedic vision. The immense that calls to man to expand the spirit, the wide aim that justifies his narrow attempts. Look at how beautiful this line is. The wide aim that does not negates or cancels, but justifies his narrow attempts. Because through approximations, we learn. We talk about, you know, love of God. Shubhinda says in one of his aphorisms, they talk about love of God, but they cannot love man. Whom are they in love with then? I mean, to start with, this is the basic training ground. First, the energy of love has to become uh, human rather than animal. Then a sublimated human energy rather than the ordinary human pitch. And then it changes into a divine energy. It's a whole transmutation. Similarly with knowledge. It's a step-by-step process. The supermind shall be his nature's found. The eternal's truth shall mold his thoughts and acts. The eternal's truth shall be his light and guide. Overtopping this mechanical universe, a mightier race shall inhabit the mortal's world. On nature's luminous tops, on the spirit's ground source, you know, we had asked what is matter. Matter is the ground of the spirit for its manifestation. That also we yesterday shared about one of the stories of the Upanishads, the very first stories about Ushasti Chakrayana. Annam Brahman. The superman shall reign as king of life, make earth almost the mate and peer of heaven. Light shall invade the darkness of its base. Then in the process of evolving time, all shall be drawn into a single plan. A divine harmony shall be earth's law. Right now we are not living by that harmony. So Yaginvalk has to aspire at least for his individual self. Satya Dharma Yedrishtai. At least I want to live by the law of truth. And the law of truth is also one with the law of divine harmony. Law of truth is Rith. But a time will come when he says, when earth will be governed by the divine harmony. A divine harmony shall be earth's law. Beauty and joy remold her way to live. So yesterday we were also speaking about what is the difference between morality and something which is greater than that. It is not about simple goodness. It's about the sense of the beautiful. One of the simplest way to truly stay away from evil is not to treat it like a rule book, but simply to cultivate the sense of the beautiful and refer it in the heart. The heart will tell us because it is the place where beauty resides. If we allow it to recite, look, this action is not beautiful. Look, the word you spoke, it was not beautiful. Look, this feeling was not beautiful. This impulse is not beautiful. And this is without reference to any rule book. One doesn't, one needn't read any Shastra for this. And then the most powerful one, even the body shall remember God. Nature shall draw back from mortality and spirit's fires shall guide the earth's blind force. A power infallible shall lead the thought 
is seeing Pusa govern life and act in earthly hearts, kindle the immortal's fire. A soul shall wake in the inconscience house. The mind shall be the the mind shall be God visions tabernacle. The body, intuitions instrument, and life a channel for God's visible power. So we'll stop here. This is the future vision, the age of Sri Aurobindo, which has just started. And it's a joy to be part of this great journey. Honestly, nothing else is worth doing, if you ask me, frankly. So we can have some questions, if you like. Yes, please. Um, so like you mentioned earlier, Mother said that it's easier to do yoga in a forest under a bunny rather than in light, because in life you're going to be faced with all sorts of circumstances that, that are going to test you know, different your levels of faith and your sincerity. Um, I think one of the most like major difficulties is just kind of dissatisfaction. Sometimes you're like, well, you know, why don't I have this when everyone else has that? Or just inertia, like, okay, I don't, I don't, I don't want to do meditation today. I don't want to do anything today. So, what do you do when you're faced with like, the, like when those formations, are, like, are when you're faced with an attack from those formations? What should your attitude be in those circumstances? Uh, two, three things. It is true that doing yoga in the world is more difficult, but the mother also says it's more complete. When you do yoga only in an ashram, it's not complete. Something remains amiss. It's like, you know, uh, suddenly putting a child from kindergarten into uh, seventh grade. Steps of evolution which are missing. So, uh, when you take the challenges of life and overcome them, it's a far more enriching journey. So this is one part of it. The second is most important. We need to have a compass needle within us. And there are two compass needles if you like. One is faith and the will to be. So an important question that all of us should ask ourselves. What is my central faith and will to be? Now that keeps orienting us because obviously temptations will come, there will be attractions, there would be you know, peer pressure and all the rest. But then every time it happens, I have to refer inside my faith and will to be. Third is beauty, the sense of the beauty. So it's fine if one is wanting, let's say, to succeed in life, you know, an ambition. Let's put it like that. So, to start with, it's not that, you know, in one day one can just get rid of ambition. But let it be an ambition which does not violate the sense of the beautiful within me. It's not by crushing others, by deception, by cheating. But something which is, as the Gita puts it, a karma which is governed by dharma. That's why in Indian thought there was this principle of Chatur... Uh, ashram, four, fourfold ashramas. That first is solid basis. Dharma. You know, the first part, 25 years or 20 years was about dharma, you know, understanding it. Then you have to still enter into the cycle of artha and kama. So you enter into grahastha ashram. Experience life. See, it's ups and downs and vicissitudes. That's why 
we read that uh, wonderful line the wide aim that justifies small attempts now outwardly it looks so what what a waste if ultimately i have to turn to god but the point is it is developing equipping us with capacities will eventually be useful later on imagine if in life we get frustrated as you said when we are trying to face the challenges of life i try for something and i don't succeed in an examination and i say oh my god i i think it's better not to try it when one goes towards the divine the challenges are far greater that's why the mother used to say if you are running away from life and wanting to escape into the ashram better not come here because you will have to face far greater challenges subtler challenges challenge from within not from outside right now it's still okay because the challenge is from outside so i can shut myself into my own shell but what do i do when i face the challenge from inside so the field of life is an or the experience of life is necessary as a step to prepare us for this great journey so one should go through that then the question comes okay then is it that i just go through it and then a time comes as in the ancient times it was told that finally after grahastha ashram you have one prast and then sanyas that okay then at 50 let me start taking interest in all these things and then finally uh, go towards moksha moksha not in the narrow sense but in the wider sense of liberation from ignorance no shri krishna read this that oh this this is uh, not a very good way so he gave a way where while you are pursuing your life and all its you know varied things in it uh, including career relationship and uh, money and dealing with money with people with job everything how you can make it a life which is already not just a life of dharma but already which is getting tuned to the greater yoga but what you cannot do there is transformation of nature and the transformation of the instrument because that's a specialized process that's where the gita stops it can liberate your inner consciousness but shri krishna doesn't speak about transformation of the instruments of nature but this is a very far way if one can go that far while dealing with life a time comes when one is ready for the next level so we can't jump from level 1 to level 5 so ambition will come face it take it like a challenge when someone came to so and succeed in it that's why the first lesson of the gita which shri krishna gives to arjuna is what he wants to do that no withdraw and gives an excuse that you know uh, sankhya says it's better to be in the forest and you know i have read the scriptures and heard about things and you are uh, you know this is a gori act it will bring sin and all these things he says what does arjuna te- uh, krishna tell him that whence this kind of a cowardliness has come over you this unmanliness very hard words and then first he tells him fight the battle win and if you win enjoy the rajyam samriddham why feel guilty about it there is nothing wrong in that if you conquer it by means that it will increase your capacity of life when somebody came to swami vivekananda and said i want to renounce life now he understood swami vivekananda understood renunciation thoroughly he was not attached to his renunciation for renunciation's sake though he had owned the you know that uh, saffron robe he could wear suit and move around in us he was free from that so he told this youngster who came at 21 that i want to renounce life so he asked him what do you have right now to renounce 
go and earn one lakh rupees, then come back and renounce. <laughs> there is nothing, no energy to renounce. So, when you go through life, if you want to lead a life of yoga, then we have to face the challenge of life. That Because that challenge also is part of the evolutionary journey. That's where we have to make a choice. We can't withdraw and shrink from life. That is why uh, the sign of a yogin, as described in the Ishupanishad, what is the sign of a yogin? Tato na vijugupsate Sarva bhuteshu chatmanang Tato na vijugupsate He who sees oneness everywhere shrinks from nothing. From no situation, no condition, no circumstance. He doesn't shrink from that. Because then you see the play of the divine. So deal with it as a play. As an exercise given to us uh, to grow in consciousness. So part of that exercise may be facing an obstacle. Or succeeding in an exam. Fair enough, take it. Put all your energy into it. But remember whatever you may do and that's where the corrective of the Gita comes in. Remember that the fruits belong to the divine. So if it doesn't work through, no need to get into despair and feeling guilty and sense of worthlessness because anyways the fruit didn't belong to us. But put all your effort, it will develop skills, equip us with you know various capacities. Because even when we go to the divine, we must have something to give him that look, you know, um, I have these aspects, capacities, talents, energies to offer at your service. Imagine if Arjuna said, I want to be your instrument. So what do you know? Well, um, nothing in particular. So Krishna will say, okay, fine, you sit beside, <laughs> pray. But look, when Arjuna is a master archer, then he becomes a wonderful instrument of the divine. So develop these capacities and life is an opportunity for that. Face it. Nothing wrong in, you know, having ambition for doing well in life. There is no need to bring guilt in it. But yes, as of now, it's important to remember that when we walk with too much ego, then we stumble by the speed. So it's important to keep that balance. That's all. When, you know, the final going away of ambition, when, um, you know, one enters into yoga, that's a later stage that, you know, one has gone far en enough. And then if one is attached to the same life and, you know, wants the post of a university professor or lot of name and fame, then it's dangerous because then it's counterproductive. It was useful at this stage, it's dangerous at another stage. Suppose we surrender more than challenges will be... Maybe even more because the divine may say, okay, now you have given your life to me, I am going to make you go through the big obstacle race <laughs> to make you fit. It's like, to take an example, depending on our destiny, now, you know, people say that they want to join the armed forces. A lot of youngsters, you know, get inspired. Now, I don't know how it works here, but something similar. So, they join the uh, military academy. They are all inspired. They seva and all this. And then they say, I have given myself to the country. It's one form of surrender. So, what happens? The first day, get up at 2 o'clock, sleep at 11 o'clock. By 2.30 you have to be ready. Where have I come? So same thing happens. Like you know, same with medicine. 
my heart is full of compassion i want to help people therefore i want to become doctor i want to listen to my mother who wanted me to become doctor so i said okay so i got through very happy my mother is also very happy she doesn't know that the poor fellow first day he is thrown into a anatomy you know hall with 30 dead bodies <laughs> stinking with formalin compassion will come later first she has to handle the smell of chloroform and formalin so when we surrender to god then god, then uh, sometimes worse things come and mother speaks about it that you know god treats there is even a joke to it that <laughs> says god treats those who uh, whom he loves he treats them uh, you know with much more sometimes uh, a love which may appear harsh because there is very own so he says okay fine i'll prepare you <laughs> so the joke goes someone said that's why he has so few friends <laughs> because you know those who love him he says fine like pandavas pandavas are an example of surrender to krishna look in their life what they did not have to face draupadi had surrendered to krishna radha had surrendered to krishna till date people while some people love radha but there were lot of people who during that time in the society condemned her spoke words that look you know you are in love with this boy he is not good you are being immoral what not she has heard so surrender to god means to be ready for being <laughs> thrown into the furnace for turning into pure steel and that's where the test and sincerity of surrender lies because it's easy to say surrender but then the next step starts have you really surrender at each step the challenges will come and uh, most of the time they will increase if you have really surrendered to god um the challenges will increase but what will be the difference the heart that is surrendered to god will go through all these smilingly he will never feel pained oh my god why has god done this to me and then he will say teri talwar ke niche mein nachiyan karke thaiyan thaiyan that's how bolisha says no that famous song that uh, i am dancing below your um, talwar so and as you cut me to pieces every drop of my blood says wow wow what wonderful what delight you are breaking my ego to pieces so the sign of surrender will not be less difficulties very often more difficulties and challenges the sign of surrender is inwardly a greater delight why because what is getting freed if you really look at it what really are the difficulties a comfortable life is the most miserable life because it doesn't help us grow everything is good it's a prison house mother says that that very often uh, people uh, who believe that you know god's grace is when everything is provided for you he says it is often a sign that god has not yet looked at you because he is uh, kindergarten stuff <laughs> so so it's outer difficulties increase very often seemingly i mean depends on how we perceive some people don't perceive them as difficulties at all they look at it as challenges for growth opportunities so that's a part but if somebody from outside was to see it you will say oh my god what happened to this person's life he has turned to god look what has happened look what god has done but when you ask this person he will say what do you mean what god has done he is freeing me from 
all that was trapping me, constraining me from all that to which I was attached, he is taking it away one by one. This beautiful poem of Tagore. Jake tumi bohite chaho apar premier bhar. Eke bare sobe tumi ghochaye daotar. He whom you want to bear the burden of your universal love, with one frontal stroke you tear away all his clothes, coverings, dresses. Na thake tar maan apman, na thake tar dhan. Ekla tumi karo akinchan. Uska, you know, uh, his prestige is taken away. People start pointing finger. They will say things. Maan, apman. He has to bear all that poison stuff. And yet, he has to say, Krishna, this too is you. Then one is prepared. That furnace of purification. This is the purification process. Who can ever arrive at delight without purification? He will suddenly find himself alone in the whole universe. And then when he is ready that this, I am not threatened with this loneliness because you are with me. A moment comes in life. In every mystic's life that one feels, experiences that one is really all alone in this world because there is no understanding, nothing. But at that point of time, either one can break down or one can fling himself into the arms of God. And then he says, okay, you are not afraid. Why should I be afraid? This loneliness is a delight because I can meet you without any trappings. Then he says, okay, I'll give you back the world and now you will see me everywhere. But this passage is there when you know, everything is taken away. But this does not lead to any pain. Even those tears are tears of joy. And one throws himself into the arms of the beloved. And then he says, okay, fine, done. Now I'll be there all around. I'll give back the world to you. So, but that phase has to be there. Very important. Yes. Yeah, I have a question actually on you guys that there are a lot of references to sun and sunlight. And I think like in, in um, what, when Hanuman, he, he wanted that golden fruit, um, but then, which was the sun, and then when he got too close to it, it was too much for him and he fell down. So did the ancient Rishis, did they foresee it? Super, like, is that yeah, absolutely true. In the story of Hanuman, there are signs and indications that the truth of the supramental was glimpsed. Definitely. You know, his body is described like that. It could expand, become wide, become small. He is also described as having the luminous body. He is a, uh, you know, his uh, capacity, his knowledge, he is wise. He is immortal. All these aspects are there. Only thing is the effort is premature. So, it is a pure Vedic yoga which is described there. That he is going to the supramental sun to grasp it. But it's premature. He's doing it in the rush of his enthusiasm. And Mother has said Hanuman is an incarnation of the divine. Hanuman and Rama are both incarnation of the divine. The same divine in two bodies. He becomes the Bhakta and he becomes the Swami. And then the Indra throws the Vajra. So we read yesterday about you know how Indra stands in the way. That, you know, you can't go like that. You have to first change your animal mind into a luminous mentality. Therefore, Hanuman has to come back. He has to forget everything. Work on ground level, on the ordinary consciousness. This this happens in this yoga. Sri says that if you already want to fly high, you are not ready for this yoga. 
you have to ready to lose those experiences apparently put them in the background and be the ordinary of the most ordinary because that is a level at which working has to be done so though the story is depicted as a punishment but indra says get back you are not ready like trishanku's story get back you can't enter into heaven with a mortal consciousness and so hanuman has to now be a very ordinary monkey once that level is ready then the redeeming touch of the avatar comes and lifts him high and the grace which makes him immortal grace of the shakti yes arjun uh, so how you said it was premature divinity um could we say that as humans as as now we're all premature in divinity or we are we still have yet to get there as well yes it's good to remember that we are premature in terms of divinity than to believe ah i am divine look at this world of mortal creatures that's dangerous so it's always good and an humbling experience to remember to remember that even if everything is supramentalized every cell is supramentalized still one is nothing before the infinite it's a very sobering experience it's a truth supramental consciousness supramentalization is not the last goal it's not yet the highest but at this point of time it is crucial because it takes earth and earth consciousness gives it a leap right now evolution is under the stress of ignorance and pain with supramentalization evolution will be from freedom to greater freedom from joy to greater joy from knowledge to greater knowledge not from ignorance to knowledge from pain to joy as of now but yet even if the whole creation was supramentalized still it cannot compare to the delight of the divine consciousness because it's infinite and that is a very sobering experience and that humility is the safety on the path otherwise one loses the head some experience one feels so oh, i had uh, i saw mother and shurbindo so i am like you know already reached somewhere <laughs> i didn't see because of my merits it is their grace <laughs> so that's very true it's good to remember that to always remain a child that's why you know that child there were people who said uh, wrote to shurbindo that um, i feel more and more that i am becoming like shurbindo <laughs> Shubhendu says, "Why would God want to make another Shubhendu?" <laughs> so it's it's true. Even more on current what's going on in India in terms of political. Uh, do you think of our current Prime Minister Narendra Modi? Is he working under some? Yeah, he is a he is an instrument, no doubt, of the divine. It seems from every possible indication, and um, um, there are only two dangers. One is um, obviously many forces will try to uh, finish him because uh, these are the forces which would not want India to rise. Already, one can see, and he has gone through a lot of things. he has shown the courage determination all that which is very wonderful uh, the second is that uh, i don't know about this part whether he is really a conscious instrument or a half conscious instrument now that difference is there 
because a conscious instrument is completely surrendered to the divine he has uh, in private conversations uh, spoken a few things which looks like that he is conscious of uh, the grace and if he can remain inwardly he doesn't have to acknowledge it publicly if inwardly he is conscious of the grace and grateful towards it the path will open with a much more beauty but that is something very personal and private nobody knows even if he tells some people outwardly one doesn't know but definitely uh, his coming has brought a wave of joy hope in india and um, inwardly all the indications are there that things are on the right track this is what i feel is the seeing india as far as what we know uh, in terms of mata bharat malai that's concept there many many things so can that form that form of bharat mata become a divine grace uh see divine grace is divine grace there is nothing comparable to that bharat mata is a limited aspect of like any other goddess it will have its limitation but the divine would still protect because it's a work given but still there is a difference between a conscious instrument and this example like winston churchill winston churchill was an instrument of the divine not a conscious instrument but he had all the requisite capacities and everything to um you know be a very powerful instrument in the second world war and also you know it may not be necessary or even uh, it may be premature at this stage for somebody who is a fully conscious surrendered instrument to be at that point <laughs> maybe i mean one is yoga of the nation has to go step by step so it's enough to have somebody solid who can combine vision and action and is open to the world of creative ideas it's enough i think Uh, to expect more than that would be really unfair on him also because that will come much later stage i think a lot more has to go through that's why all said and done i mean uh, i have voted for the first time in my life openly i can say and i voted for modi and i know many people who have done it and i am so happy with everything that has happened yet um, it's not the man but the divine on whom we have to repose also we have to understand that um india's rising or world's rising all these are very fine but we must remember what mother has said earthly earthly realizations take very easily a very important place in our consciousness but what are they but a speck before the eternity that also has to be always remembered that look i mean it's important because we are on earth and we are but the work of shirbindo goes beyond it and frankly if the human consciousness doesn't change into a divine consciousness whatever work may we may do however beautiful it may be it will always remain open to being pulled down because you will have human beings so what he is doing is something very nice trying to put systems into place and making he has realized it that you have to make a nation um independent of an individual an individual or even a party that's a very wonderful thing but even systems because systems organizations they don't make uh, humanity perfect ultimately it is a change of consciousness and shirobindo's 
um, disciples and those who walk the path have to focus. Stress should be on that because ultimate solution is that. And of course, a radical solution, and it's not easy. And there are many things we are, you know, we are interwoven in the texture of earthly life, and we can't afford to cut off completely. But I am just showing the total picture. But from everything, well, Mother spoke so highly about Syama Prashad Mukherjee. He was the man who came for inauguration of uh, the university center, and said he was one man who could lead India towards something greater. And BJP uh, Janssen trans, uh, you know, uh, transmuted into BJP, and he was the founder of the Janssen. So there was, there are many beautiful things, interesting things around this time, and my trust that India will rise uh, is for two reasons. It's because, well, Shurbindo has said so. Number one reason. Number two reason, it is necessary for the world, not for India's own sake. So, uh, if this doesn't happen, the whole world goes down because it has been, it has held a certain light in our bosom, which is important for the world. So, it has to rise. If the world has to survive, it has to rise. And therefore, it will be. So, while instruments are important, but also our vision should be fixed on the eternal. Like in the Gita, Sri Krishna says, Arjuna, I am giving you an opportunity. If you don't, you think I can't slay them? So, he will fulfill his work. I am always, literally as the mother says, you must be a voluntary optimist, which incidentally Narendra Modi is. There are very beautiful qualities in him as a person himself. But it's always good to remember that it's not him, but the power that is acting, who has created him. And it can create, if necessary, many more. You know, that vision of Swami Vivekananda, sure you remember, where he sees India in shackles and, you know, tied with many bonds. And he's seized with an anguish. Oh, I wish I could do something. Oh, I wish I could do something. And suddenly Bhavani Bharti appears in a resplendent form, golden bodied. He says, what? You think I cannot do it myself? <laughs> I can do it if I want to. Now this is a liberating vision. Then his heart is at rest. That God is looking after the affairs of this world. He is not cut off from this world. It's such a liberating thought that we can sleep in peace every night. That while, you know, as Yuminda says, you know, bombs are bursting in Bosnia and Somalia and ISIS and ISIL are growing. Still, there is a consciousness which is at the root of things, the Sanatan Dharma, and is looking after the affairs of this world. So, that part is the real security and safety. Uh, about Narendra Bhai. See, in the beginning we have seen okay, he was alone, but he was never lonely. The way you said it, you know the word alone, it is nothing but all in one, A-L. <laughs> so, so <laughs> it, it is something, you know, inside, it, it is a 
कॉन्शियसनेस पर्सनिफाई वाओ दैट्स ट्रू एंड एंड इट्स वेरी वंडरफुल इन मेनी मेनी वेज एज आई सेड हिज कमिंग एज मार्क द चेंज वेरी इंटरेस्टिंग शिफ्ट इफ यू सी प्योरली फ्रॉम द पॉइंट ऑफ व्यू ऑफ ए पॉलिटिकल एनालिसिस फॉर इंस्टेंस the policies that were being practiced till now uh, was the uh, we were perpetuating the mentality of the slave so what is the slave mentality this is a maharaja who puts out dolls and the slaves have to say jai ho jai ho so if you see the governments that were acting before by and large the 67 years or whatever 62 year what was the mentality dole out subsidies freebies and popularize the energy of the people in return vote for me every 5 years this is the most dangerous way to govern a country and the best way to lead it towards partition and it's very clear from uh, narendra modi is coming that he doesn't want to follow that track he wants to rise up the shakti of the nation why do we believe we are helpless only we have to shed this slave mentality which is still there you know lot again this whole thing about secularism it's a non existent problem in india it's a created problem it never was a problem as i said the the vedic path the secularism and the religion path combined together this was a problem particularly in a certain context in the west where there were real fight between science and religion persecution inquisition bloodstain throne but india never experienced it so when you trans uh, transport an idea which well it's like you know creating a problem which is non existent so this thought created problem it made people lose their way it took from the average indian the strength that nourished him and that strength was the sense of the divine there was no problem no antagonism even with like you know the muslim brothers or this brother this problem was not there no indian ever thought that you know oh he is an atheist he is bad i must you know uh, kill him this thought never came it was not important at all but now it has gone into the mind by because of the hammering constantly because of the overkill on secular 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 so lot of such things have happened because of the slavery to the thought which is valid in a certain geographical context but totally invalid in another geographical context and secularism is one once as thought completely invalid also you know many ideas in india they have to be practiced differently take for instance socialism now i keep telling that well nehru started this whole idea of socialism and therefore secularism but he borrowed the idea of socialism again from elsewhere and tried to transplant it on the indian soil India already had a rich history of socialism. You know when Rama says "Ganika Jamil Biyadgi the Kajad Khaltare Gana," I mean everybody he treats with an equal eye, loves them. Everybody is an equal share in the kingdom. Or Shiva, who you know the Asuras, the Bhut, the Pishach, the Rakshasas, the Sur Gandharv Nar. Everybody has a place in his large kingdom. Or the whole idea of Rith. this is socialism in the indian context and that's where we should draw those sounds and show maybe as an example to the world that there is another way to understand socialism 
there is another way even to understand democracy. Indian context also had democracy. So, you know, we have to bring out these ideas which are the innate strengths and every country should bring out. I mean, Japan has to bring it out in a different way, France in a different way, America in a different way. That will create richness. But the sad part is that, you know, they lost uh, faith in the strength of the race because we were constantly hammered. You know, it's something all rubbish, Vedas are all... Uh, you know, animal worship and uh, naturalistic things. And that made popularize the energy. And in everything, take for instance medicine. Uh, there was that famous uh, article that how in 18th and even up to the 19th century, India had such a wonderful system of medicine, purely indigenous. Now it has died completely because it has not been funded. And uh, now, you know, there is some attempt at revival, but that art is lost. So it's very unfortunate because certain things are valid only in a certain context. Also, the same idea will express itself differently in different nations. And that's very important to bring out. And I think Mr. Modi will be able to bring it out. Like again, environmental consciousness. This is one of the things we were talking about. Now, in India, this environmental has to be, consciousness has to be brought out with the sense of the eternal in everything. Otherwise, see what happens. Now, one is very conscious of the environment, let's say in a certain context and everything is good, clean. And the pigs are taken care of and the cows are taken care of. But what for? To satisfy the palate. Now, this is going to lead sooner or later to a backlash. What is the backlash? Number of diseases which will come up as a result of this. Whereas in the Indian context, it should be done because it's an object of worship. There is the presence of the eternal. Now, that has to come up. Now, that will take time because it would need a widespread new kind of education. Right now, all the education is focused again around the same things are being taught ad infinitum, ad nauseum. Everything is disconnected with the deeper sense of divinity in the universe. In India, there has to be books, entire books, which connect geography to the sense of the divine, history to the sense of the divine, not to our God or this God or that God. Social sciences to the sense of the divine, psychology to the sense of the divine, health to the sense of the divine, military um, to the sense of the divine, law to the sense of the divine, because then we will deal the same problem differently. Say, now there are problems of euthanasia. So nobody is bringing this deeper angle to it. Now the angle is very superficial that look, uh, so and so is suffering, but most of the time it's not that person who is suffering. It's the relatives who are suffering. He is unconscious. Now in Indian thought there is nothing like that. Because Nityo Nityanam Chetanas Chetnanam. Even when the body is completely unconscious, the inner consciousness may be awake. So the whole stress should change, which means a lot of work on awareness. Unfortunately, that is not being done. And millions of money are being pumped into simply re-erecting the ritualistic side of the Indian religion, which is a very sad thing. This is not a revival of the Vedas. It's a completely going in off track. This awareness that look, 
I mean, problems of capital punishment. How would the Vedic sages would have looked at it? These are the issues. Rapes, crimes against women. So now, how to reduce these crimes against women? Somebody comes and says, harsh punishment. Yes, of course, no doubt about it. You have to set an example. Somebody comes with a very stupid statement, <coughs> wear this kind of dress and that kind of dress. We stupid. But what about installing women back to that state that she is the Shakti? Now, this has to start in our everyday life at home. We talk about a lot about Hindu culture and what do we do at our homes? We treat the woman like a slave. So this becomes a hypocrisy. So it has to work on so many levels. Women live will carry its own meaning. See, mother spoke about feminism in 1900 and uh, I think 1718, post uh, First World War, threw up this movement uh, of feminism and you know, because uh, men were dying, so there was no choice but to take women. So, but mother says how it has to be done from the deeper angle, spiritual angle, equality of men and women. You know, we were talking about, uh, again, how would an Indian culture look at living relationship? In Savitri, when you look at it, how does Savitri and Satyavan get married? And with the auspice of that eternal our son becomes the witness and the morning ties the halo thread. Marriage is about an inner relationship, about love, about trust, about commitment. It's not a legal document. So, you know, all these truths have to come out. It's not merely the completion of a ritual that mandir mein get, Bandia, Chadadia, Mala. I mean, you keep it or you don't keep it, but the inner truth has to come out. So I think a lot and lot of work, if, if I have to talk about and think about it, I see a vast area of field which is totally neglected. And unfortunately, and Shubhindu spoke about it 100 years back, more than that, when, you, when he went to speak to the Hindu Mahasabha about the Hindu revival movement. And then he speaks about it that, you know, we are not doing it the way it should be done. The form will break, but the truth has to be liberated and take new forms. We want to preserve the form, but not the truth. That is the sad part. So, a lot of work is there. I have a feeling that Mr. Modi intuitively understands this difference. This is just my feeling. And so, he will be a right person. To bring out these aspects into the cultural fabric, which is very important because unless you change things at the core, the way people look at life, think about things, you cannot simply impose things outwardly without this inner change. And that needs education. So maybe he understands, but as coming from Shiravindo's understanding of Vedic knowledge or presentation, that there are more conferences or more talks. Yes, people should pass on material, contribute as think tanks. Fortunately, he's open to ideas. Mm -hmm. I believe, you know, all this is very beautiful. So, and I think he is not fond of keeping a kutri, which is a very good thing. Otherwise, these things get filtered. So, these are very beautiful things, but we should also know the enormity of the work ahead. Lest we all sleep... In the first rush of, wow, wow, wonderful, now he will do everything. 
all of us have to do something in our own field in our own way in our own sphere and he says it has to become a movement ha sabka sath that we all feel now that okay this part is happened this is done he has to do his job to the best of his ability now what do i do what field i pick up to bring back that old truths and all of us must work in our own whatever field like for me psychology and health for a long time in that field i am trying to bring that vision in the field of health and psychology there are so many fields which require to bring that you know whole thing the whole society has to wake up so there have to be people who are ready to work and it's a very very huge work let me tell you in the field of education also we have been some of us have been working even ncert has accepted few thing but still it's so much books have to be written people have to be talked to talks have to be even organized and arranged otherwise children simply receive the same old stuff and then there are the shankracharyas and you know all the people who are hell bent upon uh, preserving only the uh, dead scrapnels like you know shiva when he goes into a mode of vilap and preserves the body of sati then vishnu has to cut her to pieces it's gone she has to take a new body she has to come back as parvati that new form has to be given to everything one question yeah uh, you talk about this uh, earth con- consciousness so every nation on the earth they have own consciousness and the people living according to that mm. so i want to know about the uh, other planet arinda said there are 12 planets yeah so what about their consciousness each of them will have their own consciousness and that consciousness will be determined by to what extent now i am not only talking about the 12 planets here but all over the universe will be determined by what all has been manifested so far that creates the consciousness of a particular thing so in the earth itself the consciousness has evolved before plant life came it was like purely a material dead matter submerged in water as the story of hiranyakashipu now again lot of work has to go on to these stories story of hiranyakashipu hiranyaksha submerging the earth into the waters and then when plant life came the consciousness of earth changed by another degree it was full of life that's why uh, when we look at the uh, you know mountain which are barren and mountains which are green we get a sense of joy which life brings why does this joy come simply because living beings carry that joy joy of life then uh, there is the mentalized consciousness which has come up so earth consciousness has become mentalized now it has to become spiritualized so other planets also would be having um, as far as i know on um, so far um, as far as uh, the this solar system is concerned people have not discovered uh, discovered living beings i won't use the word life because life is everywhere but manifested life anywhere maybe it may be there in some neptune or saturn i read in one of the book there is a white earth yeah and there is living being over there would be actually now they have discovered other places what they mean by that is actually they don't mean earth 
बिकॉज इन स्पिरिचुअल लैंग्वेज वेन द वर्ड अर्थ इज यूज इट्स इन ए डिफरेंट वे अर्थ इज ए रेसिड्यू ऑफ ऑल द फोर्सेज कंडेंसेशन ऑफ ऑल द फोर्स इन दैट सेंस अर्थ इज यूज पृथ्वी एंड भू तत्व बट वॉट साइंटिस्ट से इज एनी प्लेस विच हैज द एटमोस्फियर विच इज सिमिलर टू अर्थ टेम्परेचर सिमिलर टू अर्थ ना दिस इज अ बिग मिस नोमर बिकॉज लाइफ कैन फॉर्म इट सेल्फ इन वेरी डिफरेंट सराउंडिंग दिस वॉज अ वेरी एंशियंट डिबेट यू नो दिस होल स्टोरी ऑफ थ्योरी ऑफ पैंस परमिया केम आप एंड इवन द डिस्कवरर ऑफ डी एन ए फ्रांसिस क्रिक ही ऑल्सो गेव दिस थ्योरी नाउ यू नो दैट्स वेल लाइफ कैन इवॉल्व इन वेरी डिफरेंट सर्कमस्टांसिस it can evolve if it wants to evolve it can evolve on a cold planet like neptune or on a hot planet it can evolve on sun because you know wherever there is matter there is a possibility but it will evolve in different ways uh, and depending on the evolution the consciousness will be there so it's very difficult to say you know yeah Yeah, I think someone actually asked a similar question to Mother. I think it was questions and answers, nineteen fifty-four. Yeah, she um, said, "Don't yeah. be interested." <laughs> yeah, yeah. And so, um, well, she said first two things. That first, Earth is unique because yeah, yeah. Earth is the only um, planet that is, like, as of now, capable of evolution. True. And that's why it has the species that are capable of evolution. And someone else asked, "Well, so are there aliens? You know, are there UFOs?" She said, "Well." She she didn't have a vision where she saw aliens, but they're not. They're just observing Earth. They're not interested in its evolution, and they are like far more technologically advanced than us. But they're not part of the evolution. It's like absolutely. I think I think that's what she said. Yeah, she said two things. One is of course that you know Earth has the evolutionary mechanism inbuilt because of the presence of the psychic principle. So that's why. and the second aspect uh, that she has said that well um, there are ufos she has spoken about that uh, i'm not sure about aliens but probably yes about aliens also but she said we should not be concerned about it because how does it matter i am here on ground zero if they are they are not so i was trying to you know avoid that part that well that's a discussion somebody may say that well there are okay there may be Fine, fine, fair enough. So we can't say there are not, but our problem is right here with regard to the Earth consciousness. And if that can evolve, because right now we are posted here, as they say in military language, <laughs> uh, like she spoke about a whole uh, race which has come from the moon, and now people talk about you know they found some water on moon and moon grew cold. Now they talk about all these things, but also when. that race came because of the admixture with the human species things have changed otherwise they didn't have the psychic principle and so they are very harsh cruel almost cold vicariously insensitive to pain of others so all that is there but it's okay there may or may not be like uh, other lokas there are gods on not only on material plane there are seven earths because just as there is a material earth there is a vital earth Earth on the mental plane, because what you see here is only a final act, and they are different. Luminous Earths, the Vedas speak about it. But fine, there are beautiful beings there, but our work is here. So, Alam Naji, even we do not know about our consciousness. Why to 
think about twelve. Yeah, <laughs> but it's okay. I mean, see, that is a part is we can look at it both ways. I understand what you say that, but at the same time, the human mind does think, and it it's okay. I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. But essence, that's why that answer mother could give. I know that answer, but there was deliberately I was holding back that answer. Your mother can give that answer. Don't concern yourself with earth, but she can speak that as the divine mother to creation. I can't give that answer. That don't think about other things. Think focus because that's not my adhikar. <laughs> And one has a right to you know think whatever. <laughs> Yes, you were saying something. Yeah, Anup ji. Uh, yesterday uh, during dinner, we yeah. had a discussion on the validity of uh, our current astrology and uh, the stuff that that's yeah. going on. Uh, you know, there is this Janam Patrika when Plato is born, and then there are friends being destroyed. Unnecessary is being stopped from doing things he wants to do because of that, and then later on, the marriage also uh, for some people this family marriage is a big deal and stuff. So I wanted to know what's uh, what same slave mentality. Shubindo says the soul in man is greater than his fate. Even if all the cosmic forces, nakshatras, are arrayed against me, still the power of love in me should be able to conquer it. I would rather say, "Good, that's a challenge." And that's what Savitri is about. All the forces of the cosmos, which have woven fate. Have woven a fate, whether planets, hand, everything combined together. Let's put it like that. The planets, of course, are the subtle entities, as we were discussing yesterday. That the planetary motions, like behind every physical phenomena, uh, these sciences were based, the Vedic sciences, which drew from the Vedic roots, not the way they are understood today or practiced today. Like Ayurveda is not about picking up a plant and uh, mishmashing it and giving it, but they were derived. They discovered these subtle principles. and these outer planets in some way represented but they were about the navagraha were about the nine subtle principles which um, weave events in our life now look at ravana ravana was not even a real yogi and the fellow had these principles at his uh, mercy they say no navagraha ko usne bandh diya tha and yet fate found its way because there is something which is greater than all these forces ravana believed all the asuras believe that by conquering these elements i can eventually overcome fate like hiranyakashyapu that look uh, i cannot be killed by these that uh, all kinds of conditions what scientists are trying now to conquer the outer conditions now in that outer conditions there are gross outer conditions there are subtle outer conditions so when astrology people try to appease the planets and grah shant karna what are they trying something very similar ki i am going to appease these inner subtle conditions but that's not the path of conquest of fate the fate is conquered by the will the fire the agni and if it blazes it can demolish everything rebuild everything because it's a builder of forms that's why agni is called jat vedas it knows all the births we just read it past and future now if it steps out it can remake our lives that we have to bring and activate similarly indra is the fashioner of forms in the subtle worlds so the beauty of uh, indian thought from the vedas 
was that man can eventually there is something in man which is greater than everything look at the story of uh, anusuya which mother enjoyed very much when it was shown in the playground in that story the gods the trinity brahma vishnu mahesh they come to test anusuya's satitva satitva is not just outer chastity but the power to stand on the truth of your being and truth which is one with love and they say what a condition that uh, will you give us food yes no no but you have to make us eat food without any clothes on your body and making us sit in your lap so anusuya said oh, that that's all that's very simple because sexuality lies in the consciousness i am like a mother to you you are like my children so what if you look grown up and story of course goes that they become like little babies now but what it means is that there is a state of consciousness she deals and turns them into little babies and then of course the story is very funny they she puts them to sleep and all the three great ladies they come searching my husbands have vanished it says they are sleeping please find out who is this. who's who's who <laughs> take them back and mother was very amused she says very good very true man alone has in him the capacity to go beyond the gods he carries within himself the spark of the supreme but because it made him proud he was made to forget it the story of hanuman now he has to recover it because if he just is given this without really realizing it it makes him proud so he has to go through all these forces are beating him making him feel but they are beating him to tell him look you are strong come on get up you are strong you can do this you can do this but this whole idea of you know trying to uh, govern life by astrology planets stars and god knows uh, helps only the stars of the pandit makes his child study well to that extent it's okay we are doing some good karma for him but it should stop honestly you know uh, all this has popularized the strength of the race it has made us feel helpless before forces of nature but look what kind of consciousness of the rishis august goes and challenges the ocean what lakshmana does in front of the sea you don't give way i have my way that is indian thought and so many stories behula kanya kumari i mean amazing stories where people have challenged fate and by what power purely by the power of their will and faith these are the two powers in man same was the true with narendra modi also well i mean i i don't know so much about his life but yes uh, See, at least you know the way thing was yeah and he, now now advani ji says in spite of all this uh, he changed his mentality he is a he made my dream crew uh, he 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 has shown tremendous perseverance in the face of adversity there's something very amazing and remarkable in a human being given observation about this astrology all this whatever astrologers they have shown these all nagar are so unintelligent that what they do if this grey is bad or other grey is bad they make a object and have them attached to that object so there is no. a photo or something so what they are really showing that these are, these grey they don't really know you 
not only that, the first part is actually these fellows are not bad. They are just doing their job. Now Shani is given the job of uh, bringing justice. So poor fellow, you know, why blame him? He is just doing his job. You know, it's okay. Let him do his job. But we are given something which, you know, weaves the fate. They are actually obeying us. We have woven the fate. We have created it and they have to walk, you know, by our thoughts, our feelings, our hopes, our fears. We have given them food. So, you know, Sunny says, okay, he is very afraid. So, I have to now get into this, this house and make him go through pain. But we can refuse. Man can accept. He can refuse his fate. Even though the unseen maintains his decree, doom is not a close, a mystic seal. Man can accept, he can refuse his fate. Even if the unseen maintains the decree, he writes thy refusal in thy credit page. Arisen from the tragic crash of life, his spirit rises mightier with each defeat. His godlike wings grow wide with every fall. O king, the events that meet thee on thy road, though they smite thy body and soul with joy and grief, are not thy fate. The goal, the road thou choosest are thy fate. This is Indian thought. The goal, the road. I choose the divine and I walk by dharma. That's my fate. Events may come which may frighten me, try to frighten me. Many masks, many forces. But I have chosen this. I stay by it. Look at Harish Chandra. We were talking about, you know, what happens to those surrendered to God. <laughs> Harish Chandra, just one vow he has taken. Truth. Everything is taken away from him. You want truth? We'll show you what is truth. Bare reality. Your son, that's not truth. Your wife, that's not truth. That's the meaning of the story. Your kingdom, that's not truth. Your job, that's not truth. So he is ready to, one by one, let go of all that holds him back from the vision of truth. So where is the truth? When all these things are burned to ashes in the Samshan Bhumi, then you discover truth. This is the meaning of the story. And when you present it like this to the children, they understand. Isn't it Arjun? But if you just say it, Harish Chandra hote the, Taramati patni thi, unka ye ho gaya, wo ho gaya, Vishwamitra ne aake raj, then one says, what kind of Vishwamitra, what fellow, you know, crude stuff. So confusing. And you know, one feels this is self-mortification, why he has to, you know, do this, his child dies, what is this? But the story is about how the search for truth, ascend to truth. And at the end, ultimately, when he is ready to sacrifice everything, including himself, that I am attached to nothing but to truth, then Shiva reveals himself. Now you are ready for moksha. So these stories are so indicative. So, what was Harishchand's fate? At the end of the day, what do we say? Oh, bichara. Nahin. Harishchand has become a Ideal in the eyes of the uh, Indian thought. It's unfortunately, I mean, all these stories have now gone away. I, mean, I have grown up with these stories. So, you know, he has become the, uh, you, oh, look, this is the ideal to be followed. So what if you have challenges? But Harishchandra, wow. 
same with savitri savitri has become an ideal why because uh, she had so much difficulty but yet she challenges overcomes and that's how the story of savitri is there in the mahabharata when yudhishthir says uh, in a moment of despair is there anybody worse who had a worse fate than draupadi and who was as good as her so markande rishi says yes of course in far back times there was savitri who had worse fate and she conquered it story of draupadi at the end of the day who remembers her humiliation nobody says oh bichari one says yagya seni draupadi with pride that a woman should be like her to rebuild herself from the pyre from the grave again with sita again see look at how badly the modern mind can misinterpret oh sita was a doormat ram ji ne chhod diya chali gayi but look at if that part is not there in the ramayana what will happen to the women's strength which also must be brought out rama's everything is brought out but look at the beauty of valmiki valmiki had to bring out also the strength of a woman and in a much greater force because the whole story is otherwise about rama's exploits like modern films where hero is there but the heroine is only for ornamental value sita can't be for ornamental value so what the poet does with a master stroke of his pen that after everything rama banishes her into the forest but for this story the book will remain incomplete what does sita do she doesn't go to court she doesn't say what the hell she doesn't say oh destiny you are so bad cruel she doesn't you know drown herself in tears she brings out the fire and force within herself she says so what kingdom or no kingdom husband or no kingdom i am capable and living in an ashram she brings up her children who are as capable even more capable than rama and when they go she has never breathed a word of bitterness or complaint to them they have all the love for their father they don't know what has transpired so she has brought out the force of love this is the essence the same thing can be seen this way or that way in one way it is liberating and in another way it is you know demeaning so that drishti has to change thank you